everybody. My name is Brad Schmidt. I am the Director of Faith and Work at NCF South Florida. Today, we're going to pick back up in our series in this podcast on the Redemptive Imagination dinner that we had recently, where we unpacked a new initiative in South Florida called Amplify South Florida, a new network of founders, funders, and mentors collaborating for the common good of this region. In this episode, you're going to hear a Q&A session that Nelson Telemanco and myself were, was able to have with our two guests that evening, Charlie Chavigian of Every Mother's Advocate and Chris Chancy of Amplio Recruiting. Enjoy this episode, and we hope that you find it applicable to your work, the work that God's called you to do. So wanted to spend a few moments, um, grab a seat, wanted to spend a few moments together um, talking about uh, not just the redemptive frame, um, but we can start there, but also just about your experience in uh, the in Accelerator, uh, because that's what we're here to announce. Amplify South Florida is launching a new business for-profit. Our first one will be a for-profit accelerator starting in the fall. Uh, but I do want to start with um, with a question for you, Chris. So when I first, um, I remember I had an early conversation with somebody about the redemptive frame and the three ways to work, exploitative, you know, ethical, redemptive. And they looked at me like I had three heads and they said, how, do you, how can you make any money doing that? And so could you talk about, because um, you're our for-profit guy in this panel, could you talk about the tension between money and impact? And what would you say to that person who, when you pitch the redemptive frame, when they first hear it, you know, creative restoration through sacrifice, how are you going to make any money doing that? Can you speak to that and just respond to it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like we get asked that often. And I remember early on, just kind of fuel for the fire for us, a, a guy who was like, that's not possible. You can't do good and make money. Literally, that was the phrase. That's that's implying mean, that that's just ethical. Like we can certainly do better than that, right? Um, so um, there's so many thoughts that come to mind. I think that um, when when you're looking at what you can you rephrase the question? I want to make sure that I'm hitting. If somebody says you can't you can't do redemptive work right and make a lot of money, yeah, how do you respond to that? So. I think that you 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 got to hold everything loosely, right? You you recognize that um, your end goal is not necessarily the bottom line. If we look at scripture, there is one clear bottom line, and it's not to make a lot of money. But it, you got to recognize how what that can leverage and how that's a catalyst for the impact that you want to have. So, as a company, you know we did twenty five million dollars last year. Um, that sounds really good, but um, but what are the other strategic ways that we're measuring impact beyond just this financial kind of bottom line? And I think that's what, you know, all of this kind of, kind of beckons us beyond just this initial kind of easy way to measure, you know, what kind of company, what our value is as a business and try to get beyond that to say, um, what is it? How, when we compare this to scripture, is any of this going to hold up? No, it's all going to burn away. So how, how are we strategically engaging people um, in this model that that goes beyond just financial. Yeah, and thanks for laying out that pro- the parachutes. That that was great. Well, very very clear. Well, the reason I was struggling when you first asked, and when we talked on the phone, I just made this statement. I think a lot of people can relate to is 
the tension that exists is often we feel like either we're growing our business or we're having kingdom impact or spiritual impact. And you lay down at night thinking, oh, well, we hit some of our financial goals, but I feel guilty or I feel ashamed or whatever because we're not hitting the spiritual stuff that we want to. And it always feels at odds with each other. And if you can get to a place and the redemptive frame is a huge tool to do this, aligning that spiritual impact within the business model, things get a lot more fun and a lot more effective for the long run. That's great. Um, I'll ask a question to you, Charlie, and then I'll let you think of your question for them. Um, Charlie, my question is the redemptive frame, you know, you got strategies, operations, and leadership. Could you just pick, pick one of those domains and talk about maybe how the redemptive frame has impacted one of those, yeah. one of those, um, it's so domains. hard to pick one because it does feel, do you want me to pick one for you? No, no. <laughs> um, I think probably leadership, I would say, um, it was such a jarring experience to enter into praxis and be fed this narrative around the ethical and the redemptive and the exploitative in the best of ways in that, They talk a lot about building an enduring organization that is not built on the back of any one dynamic leader, but that we're all dispensable and that it it should actually long live after us, after we come and go. And so that was a a shift in, in, in how we approach building the business and the organization and who we pull around us to be truth tellers. Uh, and not just yes men and women, but those that are really going to challenge and, and in a healthy way criticize how we're building. Because I think from leadership kind of falls then the strategy and the operations of who's around you, what type of talent and leadership qualities are there, who's above you speaking life into you and doing it in a way that is enduring and redemptive. That's amazing. <clears throat> so I've had the privilege of... Uh, of watching, um, of watching Charlie build this organization. And I, I mean, super impressive, right? You would think she's got her MBA, she's got graduate degrees and who knows what, but she, I mean, you, how did you start this vision? Your story is amazing. So what was the, the point where you said, I got to solve this problem? T- tell them about how you came up with this. I, I did start Ema when I was in college um, out of my dorm room. I say me and Mark Zuckerberg were starting ventures, but he's a little more successful than me. Um, and yeah, I think I've just always had a burning passion for vulnerable mothers and children. I spent a lot of, I dropped out of high school slash was kicked out of high school, got my GED, Eddie Copeland, who was here, just was making fun of me earlier about that. And I, I was really called into my life's work at an early age, thought I was going to be a missionary. And it wasn't until when I was in college that I started doing door-to-door inner-city ministry as a 20-year-old young girl. I don't recommend that. Um, but it was very student-led and a bunch of peers and friends of ours just every Saturday for three years went door-to-door and got to really live in close proximity with this very domestic crisis that was here. You didn't have to always travel overseas to see it and experience it. But the the realities of poverty, whether it was relational poverty, spiritual poverty, economic poverty existed. And that's really what propelled us into saying, what does it look like to ensure that all of these teenage moms at the time that we were working with have support? And so I started that when I was 20 
Um, and then it was really the experience of my husband and I becoming foster parents and seeing the same demographic of moms who are in crisis um, and, and the, the systemic and chronic challenges they experienced that we had an organizational shift and almost a rebirth of still serving that mom that was in crisis, but now with this very specific and tangible goal of family preservation. So it was a little bit of a journey to get there, but we started small and we started somewhere. That's amazing. You know, we, we talked earlier about the product market fit and some people would describe that as the holy grail, but hopefully what you guys are seeing is that that is not the holy grail. I think you said it well, um, that it's that proximity to the actual needs um, and understanding it and feeling it and then committing sacrificially to solving that problem at scale, right? She's not just solving it in her backyard, not just for the people in her neighborhood. She has a scalable business model, if you will, uh, where she's looking to reach uh, these vulnerable mothers and families across the country and, God willing, around the world. Um, so so congratulations. Um, that's amazing. Um, so, Chris, so, so in, in your case, tell us about the proximity um, that it took for you to recognize that need. Um, and, and at that point, did you know that you would end up building a sizable business sitting on boards and... Did you imagine that? Was somebody whispering in your ear, you're going to build a unicorn and, and you had to do it this way? Or to tell us about that. No, definitely not. Um, yeah, I mean, we, our story is just accidental. I mean, I shared earlier, um, we didn't intend to move into the community we ended up in. Um, it sounds like a very altruistic, you know, heroic thing to do. We weren't looking to sacrifice anything at that point. We were just trying to find a house we could afford. And um, we end up um, surrounded by neighbors um, that we realized we had um, a lot in common with, but on the surface, nothing in common with, right? And so it was just meeting them. And if we if we were lucky, they would invite us into their home to eat dinner because they would cook some amazing things. And that's just kind of how it started was just through community and just being curious and the annoying white guy that, you know, kept asking the wrong questions to people who had come to the U.S. from another place. And, and so it's through that that every conversation ended with, can you help us find a job? And I don't know, you know, what kind of, um, you know, ridiculous person it takes to just be stubborn enough to say, I'm going to start a company I know nothing about to serve a group of people I know nothing about, but that's what we did. And God's sovereign and, you know, continued to allow us to have a tremendous favor. And we made a ton of mistakes, but, you know, continue to see growth and, um, you know, see so many companies along the way that say, yeah, we want to be a part of this story. We want to add to this and, and uh, so many amazing people that were part of it as well. I was going to ask you, um, you know, how do you deal with team members, right? I know you have a redemptive frame. You've got a, a, a mission for God's kingdom to see, you know, love, you know, joy, hope, peace, all of that further through your enterprise. But what do you do with team members who don't share that faith commitment? How does being redemptive work in that setting? Yeah, that's such a great question because we have we have uh, you know refugees working for, from for us uh, with different faith backgrounds. We have other people working for us that don't uh, even if they share a faith would not necessarily feel as motivated to kind of go to the links that we're going to. And uh, you know, even we were talking about some of this on our drive up today um, or down that there's something about um, exhibiting this this type of behavior that just is it's the upside down kingdom of God. Like it just doesn't make sense, right? That makes sacrifice to see an I lose, we win mentality. 
And even as our team, when we say, hey, these are the things that we're engaging and these are the activities that we want to replicate and reward and celebrate as a team. And it's like that, you know, we've had people we've hired in from other staffing companies. They're like, we, we didn't celebrate that over there. The other guys, like we don't celebrate when people go permanent. Like that's the opposite of what you should be doing. But it starts to become very contagious. And no matter your faith background, um, no matter where you come from, there's this level of respect that comes with just seeing what we say is really the Holy Spirit at work. And whether you want to disagree with me or not, like you, once you see it, you want to be a part of that. And you want to engage in, you know, kind of drink the Kool-Aid, as we would say. So we're unapologetic about doing it. And those that want to participate, great. Um, you know, those that don't, that's okay. But at least recognize that it's happening all around you and you can't really deny it. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, as we launch this accelerator in the fall, I guess this is a question for both of you. Uh, why, if there's a founder here uh, tonight, um, why should they be a part of an accelerator program that has this kind of frame, this kind of lens, this kind of impulse to it? Um, you all have been through it, so could you just maybe share a little bit about the value that accelerator brought to you personally and to your business? The actual process of the accelerator. <laughs> I, so for me, I went into uh, the accelerator um, really excited to be a part of it, but really having no clue what I was in for. And I think one of the things that was sort of unexpected was just um, learning the the language, like the vernacular that comes with sharing about your company in a way to seek investment and just all the different structures and terms and how to engage specific um, investors and funds and just just the overall kind of structure that's needed and, and the confidence and be able to speak to that <laughs> instead of just like nodding your head and trying to Google it later, you know? And, and so that was a big part of it. A community of people that were thinking uh, about their venture in the same way that I was, that was pursuing it with the same level of passion, a shared language with them. I mean, I'm still very well connected to all the people that I went through in my cohort with celebrating them, you know, um, you know, lamenting with them. Um, there's a humility in the room because you realize none of us have it figured out, but we're all going to like do our very best to, you know, to, to, to pitch and learn and grow and develop. And then, and then of course, just like, you know, pitching, just the, the practice of doing that, yeah. sharing about your venture in a structured way. Um, you may not know about the pitch I gave earlier tonight, but you know, we were, we were doing it like you're, you're doing it. It was so good. Often. You're not rusty. It was uh, good. I know yeah. it's been a while, um, but, but you know, you're in front of different groups yeah. and there's, you know, the Q and a portions and all that, it, that kind of stuff. You just, where else are you going to find yeah. that? So that was, that was a component. And then I, the last piece, just the accountability of knowing that there's an expectation that you're going to take what you're learning and you're going to apply it. And, um, and you're taking this framework and some of the other components and, you know, we wrote a redemptive essay about this is our intentions, but actually following through with that and trying to do our best to, you know, That's represent. Great. That's great. Charlie, anything you'd add? I would just echo those two things. Yeah, the peer community, being in a room with 10 to 12 for us, other venture builders, I think from the external view point of view, it, it looks really glorious to be a business owner and a venture builder. And then in the day-to-day, in the internals, there's a lot of hidden vulnerabilities, and it feels oftentimes like a very lonely and isolating and incredibly challenging thing to go through the grind of building something day in and day out. And so being around other entrepreneurs who are in a season or a similar season and life cycle within their ventures 
is life-giving, that you're sharing in the same problems and you have some of the similar questions and you can learn and glean from people that are in it with you and the connection to the coaches and the mentors that you get to sit at the feet of, if you will, people that have long journeyed this road that are kind of giants in their industry and space that have built very successful businesses and organizations that you just get to learn from and ask really oftentimes provocative, hard questions. Um, and that they're so generous to give of their time and, um, to just really invest into how, how we're building what we're building. And so those two things have been life giving for us. I think we're Ema is a different organization today than we were two years ago. I would say I'm a different leader than I am today than I was two years ago. And um, that it doesn't really end, that you really embody this community and get to journey with it as you continue That's to great. grow. It's great. Uh, it is our custom whenever we have people presenting with us uh, to pray for them. So we want to uh, conclude your time with just praying for you. Nelson, would you mind praying for these two? And then I'll let you uh, start landing the plane after this. Father, we just give you thanks. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to just uh, listen to the testimonies of two amazing champions for your cause, Lord. Thank you for giving them the vision and the resilience, Lord, to overcome the challenges that are part of this founder's journey, Lord. You've given them a seed of a vision and they've grown it and nurtured it. And and we're seeing the fruit, Lord God, not fruit that is uh, inuring to their benefit or to their prestige or, or fame, but to the souls and the, and the and the families and the people that they've uh, that they've so faithfully served lord i thank you for them i pray that uh you hand of protection over their over their families over them physically and and emotionally and financially and spiritually lord i pray that you just be with them uh to continue to do the work that they've been doing we pray all this in jesus mighty name amen want to thank you all for listening to this episode This episode actually concluded a four-episode series we've done on this podcast on a redemptive imagination for entrepreneurship. We hope that you have gotten a better and larger grasp of a Christian vision for entrepreneurship, something that you can take and apply to your leadership in whatever God has called you to do. If you want to learn more about what we're doing at NCF in this space and the launch of our new entrepreneurship endeavor called Amplio South Florida, you can reach out to me directly at bschmidt at ncfgiving.com. And if you need information about how to get further connected with the NCF family, visit us online at ncfgiving.com forward slash South Florida.